Hello and welcome to the Travel Project Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. And where are we going today, Katie? We are going to France. Wee oui, wee. Oui. France. The Travel Project, hosted by your travel guides, Matt and Katie Coyle. Taking you on a journey to some of the most sought-after holiday destinations in the world. Giving you the ultimate travel tips and the latest news and deals. While you sit back and relax. Thanks to NIB, travel insurance to help you on your way. This is going to be on so many people's bucket list. If you haven't been before, or if you have been before, guarantee you're probably planning again. So I'm really excited to just get into today's episode, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to be so exciting. We have a lot to unpack. We do. We're going a little bit differently with France today. I think whether you've been before planning on doing it, I don't think many have actually done it by barge. River cruising is on the rise. It was has been over around for, well, I'll probably say hundreds of years. Doing it in style and luxury is something new and we have Maggie and Lee with us today. They're from the French Canal Tour Company, Maggie being a steward and Lee a captain. So really, really excited to get into that. And we also have one of our own. Sandra. Sandra. Sandra (laughs) is, she oozes everything France. I think Sandra knows that place inside and out. Sandra from Melbourne Travel Project. One of her favourite places. So she is the expert. So why wouldn't we get her on? Let's get into it. Nothing beats the feeling of travel. The first step off the plane, salt water on your skin, sand beneath your toes, a drink in your hand, the list goes on. NIB wants you to enjoy the best parts of travel and help you through any unexpected bumps in the road, whether you're travelling up the coast or overseas. For travel insurance designed for today's travellers, go to nib.com.au slash travel well. NIB, travel insurance to help you on your way. Always read the PDS and TMD at nib.com.au slash travel well to consider if this product is right for you. Insurance issued by Pacific International Insurance. The Travel Project with Matt and Katie Coyle. I'm so excited to be announcing my next guest because she's one of our own. Sandra Davis works at Melbourne Travel Project and what an absolute pleasure it is not only have you with me today, but have you as part of the company. Thank you, Sandra, and welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to tear up. That was very (laughs) genuine. (laughs) It really is, and I mean that, and I think that's one thing that people see in you, you know, how genuine you are. And the one thing that lights up the room is when a customer comes in and says, hey, what do you know about France? Yeah. That's you. Yeah, I love it. Let's get Sandra in. And that's why we thought we're talking France. It's all about today's episode. So let's kind of give everybody out there a little bit of experience of what it's like when they come into Melbourne <laughs> Travel Project, meet Sandra and say, hey, I'm going to go to France. Yeah. So Sandra, I want to go to France. Well, how long have you got? There you go. Okay. My question is, how long would you kind of recommend? Of course, you would suggest a whole summer or winter, but realistically, what's a good amount of time to spend in France? If you haven't been to Paris before and you're interested in museums or galleries or architecture or things like that, I would say four nights minimum. In Paris? Yeah, and I would go up to seven nights if you were someone who loved food, galleries, gardens, museums. The Rodin Museum is one of the most surprising little museums in Paris, which everybody should go to. It's fantastic. What type of museum is it? Rodin's a sculpture museum. It's in like a two-storey house with a big garden around it. And all Rodin's, you know, the thinker and all those famous statues are in the gardens outside as well as in the house. It's two storeys of a big mansion in a suburb of Paris. And it's just one of those little surprising galleries. The same with the Museum of European Photography, MEP. If you're into photography, which a lot of people are these days, it's a fabulous museum with 
really contemporary photography exhibitions all the time and it's different to the classic photography museum which is Henri Cartier-Bresson who was the forefather of photography. So his gallery space is quite small and it's very traditional landscape portrait. They're not the well-known no. you know, museums and, and galleries. Fact, Paris would be the place you would go. You could find a museum of anything in Paris. They love making a museum of a collection of work. There are lots of little museums. That's why I say a week is easily spent. And then there's restaurants to go to. There's the passageways which run sort of from the Louvre up through Rue de Rivoli right up towards the train station. They're all covered arcades with beautiful antique shops and furniture shops and like really lovely classy sort of things yeah, well. that you wouldn't normally see and then there's the normal things you do like ride a bike in Paris get on a bike tour or you know do a walking tour another museum in Paris which people are possibly not aware of is the Museum of Ancient Ancient Civilizations which is called the Key Branley Museum and it's over near the Eiffel Tower and it's great to do late in the day, like a 3.30, 4 o'clock museum entry, and they have a restaurant on top of the building. So when you go into the museum, when you walk from the metro into the entry, the whole museum is above ground. It's on legs, so you're mm. walking underneath the building and it's all been landscape garden. It's the perfect place to go on a hot day in Paris because the garden is kind of like an Australian arid sort of environment garden yeah, um, with grasses and trees and things, and it's just peaceful and relaxing and you know in Paris when it's busy it's nice to find those little gardens. Okay I can only imagine waking up in Paris and saying Sandra what are you doing your mind just must be going a million yeah, miles yeah, now yeah. so many things to do and say how do you find these little hidden gems because if there's so many to see they're not as well publicized out well, there. I think you have to know what you're there for. Yep. And when I travel with my husband, who's an engineer, he loves maritime museums. So I often end up in maritime museums, which are not my first love, but actually they're fantastic. When I'm there, I love it. Yeah, okay. I, I would have never have thought to have gone to them. And I love art. We both enjoy going to art galleries. And my husband loves history, so he loves the museums. He's into story and storytelling sort of things, so he loves that sort of finding the stories of a city. If you're going to Paris as a tourist and you're just going to see the Eiffel Tower and Champs-Élysées and all that, you probably need three days, four days. Okay. If you do have a passion for, you know, I guess the more arts side of things, there's that. And then, of course, there's Paris Disneyland. I took my kids there when many years ago when they were younger. It's so much less busy than any other Disneyland yeah, yeah. in the world. Read that as you will. But they went on rides got off the ride, came around and went straight back on the next ride. So they were having a ball because it isn't the busiest Disneyland in the world. Also from Paris, there's lots of day trips you can do too. So you can go out to the Champagne region. You can go out to Giverne where Monet's house is, which is another museum in itself. But the town of Giverne is beautiful. So all the Monet paintings of the water lilies, you actually see the pond, you see how yeah. it's landscaped. There's the boat that's in all the paintings it's still there is it okay that would fascinate me more than any piece of art that's just me I think if I can see where it came from and and the understanding that'll just blow my mind yeah and a lot of these day trips what would you recommend as the easiest way of making you out there from trains yeah most of them are on the train easy to get to the one to Giverne I think if you went on an organized day trip we could book it through Viator or that would be ideal because then you'd have somebody to get you there more easily I found it difficult so I think it'd be easier if you're on an organised pick-up from your hotel. 
come right, to okay. A... So it's good to base yourself and not only kind of be consumed within Paris itself, but escaping yeah, Disneyland or, 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 or well, further Ver- afield. Versailles is a day trip in itself. You jump on the metro, but it is out of Paris and it's probably close to an hour, you know, on public transport to get there. That Once you're there, you're there all day. It's fantastic. You've got to see the palace inside and out. The gardens are stunning. There are just some fascinating pieces of architecture over there. Just the stories that you get in the history of these places. We're so uninformed down here about all of European history. A place like Paris, it's not like Melbourne or Sydney where it's very easy to find a great location to stay. There's a heart. But Paris, I guess, has so many hearts of the city. Where would you recommend as a good spot to stay and why? I like the Marais district, Le Marais, mainly because it has... At the end of the day, you're coming home, you're tired, and it's got great food everywhere. Where is this exactly? The Marais is just above the second arrondissement, so it's north of the river. And the second and third arrondissement regions are great too, so anywhere sort of from the Louvre across to Place de la Bastille. So if you're looking at a map of Paris, it's above the river, pretty much in the middle. The Eiffel Tower's over on your left with Montmartre, the Sacré-Cœur, and I just find those areas good because it's very central. Mm -hmm. As long as you're staying in a property that's got public transport, a metro nearby, that's all you need. Yep, easy to get around. It's so easy and you get a card with 10 tickets in it to get you on and off the metro. You know, you get a couple of those probably over a week. I learned the hard way. I think I tried to walk around Paris in a day last year and it was a a bad idea. Walking is fantastic because you do get to know the city. Uh, Yeah. If it's not too hot, great, do it. You can't do the city in one day. And also do the boat, the Baton Mouche. It's like a on and off bus on the river, on the Seine. So you can buy a pass which gets you on the boat and then you just get off at the next stop, have a look around that area, jump back on. I need you with me, Sandra. Everyone yeah. needs a Sandra in Paris. <laughs> Let's get out of Paris because, yep. you know, France is just so much more. And right now it's hot. Everybody's wanting yeah. to go to France. That Everybody very wants popular. to go to Bordeaux at the moment. Yep. I don't know why, but I happened to go there myself in September last year. And now I know why. It is a fabulous city. It's got the historic district in it which is fabulous beautiful old buildings but it's also a city that's quite alive and a lot of people pumping through there's transport free area in the city so it's all pedestrian walkways so you're not got cars coming through the thing that surprised me in Bordeaux probably was the maritime museum yeah which was awesome <laughs> okay quite small but There's two good things. So you can do the old side of Bordeaux, the old district. But when you go to somewhere like the Maritime Museum, because Bordeaux is a port, actually, the river comes in off the ocean, so it is a port city. And they've got oyster farms all along there. I had the best oysters in my life in Bordeaux. Blew my mind. I was like, why? Not expected. Yeah. Not expected at all. And it was in like a marketplace where you chose which size you said to the man i chose the middle size ones which would have been at least how big's that that's 15 centimeters yeah that's yeah. massive that's the medium ones and there were bigger oysters than that wow okay that was stunning that market is on the way to the maritime museum and also around that area is the wine museum which architecturally is a really interesting building because it's been built in the shape of what do you call the what you put your wine in a craft a craft the building is in the shape of a craft yeah. the tasting involved as well there's all sorts the history of wine is of the region is in that museum probably lots of fun for a lot of people to go in just in that modern area we caught the tram there's trams are in, in bordeaux so jump on jump off the tram just like we do in melbourne easy to get around you've got your maritime museum you've got this fabulous food market and you've got the wine museum right there and from bordeaux a lot of people are using it as a jumping off area to go into rocamador and into the dudoin region to the east we hired a car and drove into that region we stayed we have relatives in france which is why i'm such a french 
<laughs> person. So we stayed in a in a house in Sala, which is a gorgeous little market town. Again, go to Sala on the day that the markets are on. The whole place is packed and it's fantastic. You've got stalls with all the all the cheeses you can imagine. Yeah. French cheeses that are this big in, you know, and I'm putting my hands around to show like a, a footstool size. And it's real, it's not just for tourists. This is where it all happens. The history around that area is really interesting and quite new for me. I wasn't aware of that region. Previous trips we've done Brittany area and Normandy area and I've done over on the Lyon Lake Annecy which is beautiful Chamonix which is nearby to Lake Annecy and has Mont Blanc I was just quoting someone to go there in winter they actually wanted to stop over and stay in a ski resort even Mm. though they weren't skiers and I said oh you might feel a bit lonely when everybody heads out for the day so I said maybe stay in a town that feeds into the different ski resorts so Chamonix was a I think a good spot for that so I've done that region and Dijon medieval city lots of medieval architecture you know the gargoyles and all that sort of thing yeah oh Mont Saint-Michel is fantastic that's in the Brittany region and north so from Paris you could easily head out that way you could take a rental car or get a train and head over to St. Marlo and Mont Saint-Michel such a small place well in comparison to what we see here in Australia but we've gone from getting into the history and of Paris a beautiful stunning city down to Bordeaux getting into some of the food and wines and again a little bit of the maritime side that the French is just so big spread around the world let alone all the wineries around that area too which I didn't mention but Saint-Emilion is only half an hour to 45 minutes out of Bordeaux. Everybody should go to Centimillion. It's fantastic. Amazing. And then right up to the Alps where you've got some of yeah. the best skiing in the world, whether it be summer or winter. It's yeah. an amazing experience. What about some coastal beaches? Yeah, probably not my strong suit. When we've been south, so when we did Provence region, Avignon, around that area, we didn't go down onto the Mediterranean. I'm still not sure I would bother. Okay. Because I think there are Controversial. Other... Here we go. That is a popular thing right now. <laughs> South of France, down the beach, Saint Tropez. Yeah, yeah. Marseille, no. Region Nice. They're probably good for people with lots of money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be real. I mean, All right, let's be real. They are expensive real estate and they are nice resorts, but I don't think their beaches are that great. I love it. And that's why I love you, Sandra. <laughs> and you're going to say how it is. You know, that there's no beating around the bush that yeah. your passion just comes through. Well, I like value for money too. So yeah. I'm like, if I want the Mediterranean, I'm going to head just over the border into Spain and I'm going to go into Costa Brava region of Spain because I love that. Area. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll bring you back when we're talking Spain, but that yeah. was such an awesome little insight into not only France, but with you, Sandra. So, you know, if you're wanting to plan your next French adventure, reach out to us at Melbourne Travel Project, specifically Sandra. You can find her at Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A, at melbournetravelproject.com.au. Sandra, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Until Spain. See you <laughs> From a week in Bali to a month in Europe. NIB Travel Insurance can offer cover for your overseas adventures. The Travel Project with Matt and Katie Coyle. I'm very excited to be introducing my next guest. I have with me on a break from France, from her role, working on the canal barges, more specifically Le Papillon. We have with us Maggie. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're currently here in Australia, having a break between seasons before jetting back off from spring, is it? Spring, you'll be getting back on the barges. Yeah, heading back in February, but I'll be starting back in April. Amazing. So when it's getting cold and miserable here, the, the flowers and the, the greenery is coming out and you'll be 
cruising the waterways. Exactly. Back onto my hotel barge. Which company is it that you work for? The French Canal Boat Company. Okay. Give us a little bit of insight. Who are they? It is a hotel barging company. We have two boats at the moment. One of the oldest companies on the canals and we take people from wherever in the world and give them a week-long holiday on the canals. Amazing. And so you're solely focusing really on the canals. Many would head across to Europe for a river cruise, but you do a little bit differently. So you go on the canals. What's the difference between the rivers and the canals? It's sort of like taking the back roads as opposed to the highway, you could say. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot slower. You also have the ability to get on and off the boat at any point in the locks. There's a towpath along the side where the horses used to drag the barges. So these would be working ships or working barges. Yes. This is their transport options back in the day. Okay. And so you can get off at any point and sort of take a little stroll and then pop back onto the barge and then you can take the bikes off and have a little cycle and then... Yeah, sounds absolutely amazing. So these barges, you've got two. They've been repurposed from a working ship to be a luxury floating, effectively a hotel, a home. You've got two. How big are they? We have a six-person barge on the Cher River over in the Loire Valley and a four-person hotel barge in Burgundy and around Burgundy. Wow, so it's a very intimate experience. I think some of the river cruises, the old 150 seems intimate, but effectively you'd be private chartering your own barge. Yeah, exactly. But it's a very personal experience. You get to really know everyone really well. So Mm. we have a captain, chef, hostess, which is me, and a matelot, so sort of deckhand tour guide. And we are there with the guests every single day. Breakfast, lunch and dinner. So a team of four looking after four. It's a one-to-one ratio with the staff and the, and the guests. Exactly. All right. <laughs> As a host, how did you get into such a unique role? Just by chance, actually. I've been doing lots of ski seasons and it sort of goes hand in hand with the winter and the summer season. And mm. it just... I was doing the ski seasons and then I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll try this. And I absolutely love it. It's just such a nice, peaceful, relaxing, very calm way to spend a summer. Okay, amazing. So let's really break it down to what's included. So we've got these beautiful repurposed barges. You would private charter, so potentially with some friends or another couples along the way. How long would you charter it for? Is this only a couple of nights or a week? What's standard? It's about a week. It's six nights. You arrive on the Sunday and then you leave on the following Saturday morning. So you arrive, champagne toast, get to know everyone. Way to start in France. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Where would you generally start from? Can we just fly into Paris and make our way there? Definitely. We have a private transfer that can bring you to the barge because we're not always in the same place. Mm -hmm. You can get the train, but sometimes there's strikes in France. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Private transfer is very good. You make it easy. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Exactly. So we arrive, private transfer, the barge is hidden away somewhere on the canals. Exactly. Start with a glass of champagne. Exactly. Perfect. Meet the crew. Then what's next? About coming into dinner time. So we get you all settled. You get into the rooms. You can tidy yourself up and whatnot. And then it's a three-course dinner prepared by your onboard chef. Mm. We're talking French cuisine. This is the heart of France. Yes, very, very local, seasonal French food, but it's exquisite. So it might be something like caramelised endive, red onion jam, parsley and mustard vinaigrette. And you might get a canard de magrette, so a duck with a cherry balsamic glaze, burnt carrots, snow peas, braised red cabbage. And then maybe a tatatin for dessert with creme fraiche ice cream. 
And in between the main and dessert, it is always a cheese course. So you'll get two different cheeses every night. We have 20 cheeses over the week. Plenty of cheeses to experience. Okay. And so these are always locally sourced along the canals as well. So you're not getting them from the zoo market in Paris. Exactly. We go to the markets as well Mm -hmm. and you can taste it all. Everyone gets to try a little bit and then you can choose what you like, what you don't like. So would you find each week, if the barge is starting in a different location, each itinerary is quite unique and, and tailored to the guests? Definitely. So we have four different itineraries at the moment. We're in the Canal de Nivernais, so that's sort of northern Burgundy, around the Chablis area. Mm-hmm. Then we are in Burgundy, so that's probably the most well-known canal, the Burgundy Canal, and you're around... Cote de Bone. So the Burgundy Canal is exquisite. It's really lovely little lock houses. It's just stunning. It's probably, yeah, the most well-known canal. There's a lot of other boats on that canal as well. We're also going to Champagne mm-hmm. this year, which I haven't been to yet, so I don't know. First time, exciting. Exactly. We're going to be in Provence and down to the Camargue, which is sort of close to the sea. You get the wild horses, flamingos. You have oysters. Flamingos in France? Yes. I did not know that. Okay. I know. So you go down the seafood region, absolutely stunning. So does it really depend on the time of year where the barge is going to be? So it's basically, depending on when you're going, it's a bit of a surprise. Let's jump on and see where Le Papillon will be and potentially secure the week for yourself. Exactly. We do try and go with the weather, I suppose. So starting at the beginning of the season, so spring and through to summer, a bit more north. Mm -hmm. And then as it cools down in the late autumn, we go more south and then you can just keep that nice weather going for a little bit longer. We're right now in the early stages of 2023. Right now, 2023 Europe is absolutely booming already. Are you finding that the season is already starting to be booked out? Should we be looking for 2024 or is there still some availability to secure a week away? There's still some availability, but we are open for bookings for 2024 as well. Okay. Just because planning. I don't know. Yeah. And and flights this year are just not what we wanted to be. So we can be booking. We can forward plan for 2024 and secure a week away. All right. So Maggie, I just want to kind of go back. So we've arrived in Paris. We've got the transfer taking us down. The barge is going to be really, who knows where, depending on the time of year. Yeah, so we can work that out and look at the itinerary. The French food, a lot of flavour. It's not just pasta and a bit of butter. You guys do it so well. It's an amazing three-course plus cheese, so multi-course dinner. And then what do we find we're doing each day? Is, is a day normally made up of cruising along the barges? Is a lot of stopping? How does it work? So it's breakfast in the morning. Mm-hmm. So we go to the local boulangerie and get croissant, coffee, yogurt, fresh fruit. And then after breakfast, we'll start cruising along the canal. It's a nice time to sit up on the deck and just sort of peacefully meander through the locks. Mm-hmm. At lunchtime, we stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the lock keepers also tend to stop in France. It's lunchtime. Okay, so no one's moving. And yeah. No one's moving. <laughs> lunchtime, okay. And then after lunch, we will have the van ready for you to go on a trip. So it'll be a winery or a castle or the market. And you go off for a couple of hours. A tour guide takes you around, teaches you about wherever it is that you are. And then you come back on board around 5 or 6 p.m. for a little cocktail, another little snack 
get ready oh, for she is dinner. selling it to me. Okay, so each day, generally in the afternoon, there's something that you can head off the ship, head off and experience in the local area. Exactly. And then coming back and then sailing as the sun, well, in the summer, the sun's going to be up quite late. So from five o'clock, you still get a beautiful late afternoon Definitely. Uh, cruise. Sunsets around 9 or 9.30. Yep. So it's actually after dinner even that you could see the sunset it's beautiful so everyone comes up on deck and you have a little uh, digestive maybe some chocolate if you can fit it in (laughs) i'm sure you could you're on holidays it sounds absolutely amazing and these towns that we're going through you said earlier on that you know it's like taking the back roads as opposed to the highways so the back roads were really anywhere you're going to be stumbling on the beautiful little towns that aren't necessarily overrun with tourists do you find that's where you're going yeah definitely there's maybe one town on a cruise that you might have heard of but a lot of them are really small little French villages and it's just very quiet and peaceful and it's not the big cities like Paris or Lyon necessarily it's maybe some of the more unknown places in France which is very very cool. It just sounds so different to a river cruise and it sounds really up up my alley I'd love to kind of hide away and go with with a group of close friends or family and and have these experiences a barge however we're trying to picture it we will be sharing these photos on our website but can you give us a picture for Le Papillon what type of standard are we talking about barge doesn't necessarily scream luxury (laughs) (laughs) no but what have you done the Papillon was a working boat in Amsterdam so you can sort of imagine that canal style of boat but we've recently just had a renovation through the COVID period very timely it was a three bedroom but we've made it now two bedroom they are like very hotel standard we have a big saloon a dining room you have the galley but there's plenty of space a lovely deck on the front with a sun shade that goes up and down so you don't need to move as we go underneath the bridges it's just luxury it's also very traditional as well in a way so it's got so much character it's beautiful i can only say it is like one of the top hotels that you would expect to have in any european city but it's exclusively yours and it's cruising the canals you've done it absolutely stunningly it's really blown me away so you will find it at the the french canal boat company le papillon have a look and so and the other ship you have so the nymphia is on the share it's the only hotel barge on the share there is other cruising boats as well but it has six guests it's a little more boat like in style with real character lots of wooden features and lots of brass everywhere so it's lovely as well yeah a little bit more nautical i suppose where the other one is more like just a a beautiful saloon or a lounge that you'd find hidden in a Exactly. Yeah, the Papillon is a bit more luxury. They've tried to make that space more like a hotel, but both of the boats have their own personal charm and they haven't lost their character in any way. If we wanted to, you know, experience something like this, we wanted to look at Le Papillon. Let's talk Le Papillon. That's my favourite. We've got a six-night private cruise with our return transfers from Paris. We've got all our accommodation, breakfast, lunch and dinner and snacks. They're all included, am I right? Mm -hmm. And they're all cooked by your gourmet chef. Exactly. So anything that you want and anything that you don't want, but you should definitely try all of the food, including the escargot and the foie gras. It's perfect. Got to give that a go. You mentioned some of the croissants uh, sourced in the morning, fresh from the local patisseries. Any restaurants we get to visit along the way? One of the evenings, usually in the middle, you will go out for dinner with the captain and it'll be the best restaurant in the area because we move around. It's not always the same one, but it is a lovely night out with the captain. He takes you. It will be like a five-course tasting menu, wine, 
red wine. Oh, what a job to be the captain. So you get to eat out at a top starred restaurant once a week. Exactly, Michelin star restaurant. One night you go out, you get all doled up if you like, and then, yeah, come back for digestives if you feel like it, but not always. (laughs) I'm sure I could find some room. Sounds like we're traveling by private jet, to be honest. It's just absolutely luxurious. This is what I want to really find out. What's something like this cost to experience on the Papillon before? So it comes to about 1,200 euro per person per day. And that's going to be your breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks. So all the wine, all the cocktails, anything that you can get your hands on. It's all included, your accommodation, your transport. Amazing. All fully inclusive. And, you know, what I really think is that 1,200 euros per night to have a memory that will last with you for absolutely ever. There's no way you'll ever forget an experience and the memories that you'll make cruising the barges on Le Papillon. I think that's absolutely stunning. Very reasonable in my eyes. We'd love to share and we will make all of the images and the itineraries that we can do on our website at melbournetravelproject.com.au. You're nearly on your way back, so so you get to do it for the entire season. These are the memories that you're making. I'm very, very lucky to have stumbled across this job and I'm excited to go back. We've got an Aussie on this beautiful little area. How's your French? How have you picked all that up? (laughs) (laughs) One more season. I'm really going to get better this season. Yeah, I love it. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me and giving us an insight into your company, the French Canal Boat Company, and more importantly, some of the barges we can cruise on. Thank you very much for having me. The Travel Project with Matt and Katie Coyle. When heading off on holidays, there's one thing travellers should consider, and it has nothing to do with your in-flight entertainment. It's arranging a travel insurance policy to protect against the unexpected. As someone who's travelled to 61 countries, I want to know that if things go pear-shaped, whether it's injury, sickness, cancelled flight, stolen luggage, or even COVID, I have cover available. That's why NIB Travel Insurance offers a range of plans for both domestic and overseas travel. They understand it's your holiday, so they make the whole travel insurance thing easy from buying it through making a claim. NIB, travel insurance to help you on your way. Always read the PDS and TMD at nib.com.au slash travel well to consider if this product is right for you. Insurance issued by Pacific International Insurance. Well, that was a good opportunity for us to get an insight as to the experiences on board. But there's so much that goes into barging and I'm so excited to be introducing my next guest, Mr. Lee Wooden, he has been and is the captain of Le Papillon for what we'll learn is a long time. Lee, thank you so much for joining me. Well, I'm very happy to be with you this morning. Where are you joining me from, Lee? I'm stuck in my little office in the heart of Burgundy, about 10 minutes from the wine village of Chablis, and it's uh, minus five outside. All right, it's chilly. It's nice and summer down our way. Well, thank you for waking up in the the cold, cold morning, but from what is a beautiful part of the world. How long have you been living over there for? Oof. Since 1977, so that's quite a while, yeah. Right, okay, so you know the area. Earlier in the episode, Maggie gave us a little bit of a rundown as to what to experience, and there is one thing that I found really exciting, I think, for yourself, is on each experience, each tour, the captain will be taking the guests out to what is can only be described as a phenomenal meal. So you know the places where to go. What a perk. Yeah, well, you know, living here, you, you get to test out all the local uh, hostelries, you know, when they uh, come into vogue and when they, you know, dwindle away or the chef retires or something. It's always in Burgundy, you know, it's well-renowned for gastronomy. There's always something new on the up and up anyway. And we try and make our guests, well, we truck them out one night a week for a dining experience on shore. We make sure that they get a chance to stay up with whatever's local and 
not necessarily along the canal path, never more than 15 minutes drive away from where we're cruising. All right. Can you give us a little bit of a secret? What's up and coming? Is there a restaurant that you could recommend some guests to maybe track down? Uh, well, we've got the Chateau de Vaux de Lugny, which is about 10 minutes down the road. It's been a long haul for them. The owner bought the castle 30 years ago and 10 years ago. She brought in a chef and his wife uh, from Mauritius, actually, French-speaking, French cuisine. He's uh, really buckled down and got on with it. And I think he's just collected his first Michelin rosette. Amazing. So you know the restaurants before they get really recognized by Michelin. So I think that's getting in there while it's hot before the crowds do. Is that your specialty? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, all my Aussie skiing mates call me Sir Lunchalot uh, when I'm out on the piste. So uh, obviously I carry on doing the same thing. But I'm testing for the barge passengers. Sir Lunchalot, love it. Say that restaurant one more time and then we're going to move on. Okay, it's uh, the Chateau de Vaux de Lugny. It's in a charming little village, just about 15 minutes from Chablis, basically. Love it. Yeah. Well, it's easy to be distracted by food when we're talking France. What we're we here to talk about, Lee, you're the captain of Le Papillon. As Maggie said, it used to be a working barge before it was converted recently in COVID. There's a little bit of history that you have with Le Papillon. Can you give us an insight into that? We have another little barge in the French canal boat company, the Nymphia, which runs in the Loire Valley at the moment, which I've owned ever since really I left school, which is a long, long time ago now. And a couple of passengers on it way back in 1978, they were cruising along and they said, oh, we'd like one of these. And as a joke, I said, well, I'll uh, go and find one for you in Holland if you like. And sure enough, there was uh, 200,000 francs in my bank account a couple of weeks later. And a guy from the Chamber of Commerce came around with a fax, which was rather like the days in which you used to have a fellow with a red flag walking in front of your motor car. He was carrying a fax as if it was a really rolled up piece of paper. And on it, it said, build us a barge. And so I went off to Holland and we found the Papillon. It was carrying Mars bars to the factory in the north of Holland and malt to make it with and uh, chocolate and all sorts of stuff and bringing back Mars bars once they'd been made in the factory for Rotterdam for export. And uh, bought the boat and converted it, finished it, had its first season in 1982. And then it got sold off uh, by the owners about five, six years later. I lost track of it completely and until I was sitting on the same barge, the Nymphia, about five years ago with another couple of clients who said, oh, well, you know, is any of you a chance to invest in a barge? And I said, well, I don't think there are any for sale. And our chef piped up and said, yes, there's that old one called the Papillon in Dijon. And I said, oh, I know that one. You know, they went over, looked at it, and then they kind of pulled me into the project to rebuild it, basically. The actual hull was built in 1902. And luckily, during COVID, we had two years of doing not much. So the barge went up to Holland to uh, basically a super yacht fitter out company. And uh, they managed to change three old cabins into two brand new ones. And we put a lot of new technology on board. And she's ready to do another 40 years of work. She's come back to you. That's amazing. I love that. So now, are you solely on Le Papillon or do you move across the bow ships? No, I moved between the both of them. Um, we're a couple of captains with a friend of mine, Philippe, who I've worked with for uh, 30 years on numerous barges. We share the Papillon pretty much, and I go down the Loire Valley on and off, and I do get time off for a bit of holiday with my family in the summer as well. So they're in the different areas of France, and if we're talking to first time to France and they're wanting to experience the barge, would there be a region that you would recommend, or are there any major differences that you, you could perhaps highlight that may appeal to different travellers? 
definitely. Um, the Papillon is it's had such a long track record. It isn't like the average hotel barge, which will take a one-week trip and go up one week and back down the other week. We spend a few months in each particular zone of Burgundy. We're on the Nivernais Canal for the first couple of months, which is in the Chablis wine region and close to Vézelay, which also is another wine region with a beautiful basilica where the Second Crusade started under St. Bernard. And uh, it's a very beautiful canal running in and out of the River Yon, and it's very bucolic countryside and everything. And then we're off up to Champagne, cruising on the River Marne near Reims and Epinay, Chateau Thierry for a month in mid-July till mid-August. And then towards the end of August, we're down into the Burgundy wine region around Bone, cruising up and down what they call the Côte d'Or, which is the Côte de Nuit with Nuit Saint-Georges, every Chambertin wines, and a little bit further south, you've got Bone, Sontenay, Meursault, Pommard, all these lovely names dripping off the tongue. And then September, head south, and we travel down the River Saône to Lyon, and then next week will find us in Provence, in Avignon, and then the last month and a bit of the season will be running between Avignon and Béziers, which is over, we're running right through the Camargue National Park in the Languedoc region. And the reason we do that is because the boat's been around for so long, we get many people who are coming back for their third or fourth or fifth trip, and they'll like to go somewhere else where they haven't been before. Really, the region's magical. And if we compare it to river cruising and barge cruising, what would you say, Lee, would be the main differences, apart from the size? The main difference is I've worked on the river cruise barges a fair bit as well. When you tie up in those guys, A, you've got 150, 120 to 150 passengers on board, and the crew are all from ex-communist countries because they're cheap. I don't mean to knock them down or anything, but also when you're tying up in the town, on the edge of the town, you're tied to very large metal posts where these boats have to plug into large shore supply current and they have to have an enormous amount of rubbish bins parked there. It's never very exciting when you're on a river cruise boat when you hit a town. And then, of course, you're always lining up to get into a massive motor coach to go off to a trip which will take massive amounts of people as well. In the barge, there's just four of you, so uh, we've got a, a minibus with five seats in it, and we'll go and see little mum and dad winemakers or troglodyte dwellings, you know, people that live in caves, which they've been dug out for the stone for building castles with. Very small, family-oriented trips, basically. And the barge itself will tie up in a little quayside right in the middle of town where the big river cruisers can't go. And then, of course, the river ships are just on the big major rivers. I mean, the Papillon can cruise on the big rivers like the Rhone and the Seine, but at the same time can be pottering through the Nivernais Canal, which is only one metre 20 deep, and with the locks only um, 45 centimetres longer than the actual barge. You see a lot more countryside much closer up. One metre 20 deep just kind of blows me away. That's chest level, and the barge four and four crew is cruising on top of that. Yeah. yeah, but we do have to empty out a lot of the drinking water to get over some of the low bits, things uh, like that. But we always make sure we've got enough to wash and drink. Plan ahead, that's good and frets. I wanted to really touch on the difference of the two ships, and there's only one ship that's in one in a region that not many other barges are there. Which one was that? 
That's right. The Nymphia, it's very popular with the Australian market. They love the Loire Valley because it's condensed part of France, packed with history. We visit numerous chateaus on the way, which are never more than 10, 15 minutes drive away. And we actually cruise under Chenonceau Castle, the one built by Marie Stuart, Diane de Poitiers, Henry II, and uh, various others. It's the one with all the arches, and it actually stretches from one side of the River Cher to the other. And we cruise right underneath. Yeah, the Loire Valley, it's only 50 minutes from Paris on the high-speed train, so that's a very popular region. And But there's only one bit of navigable water in the whole thing, which is the River Cher, which gives us a one-week trip. We go up to the top of it and back in a week, and stopping in different villages on the way. Whereas the Papillon's over in the main waterway system, and that pretty much gives us the whole of Europe for a cruising ground. Lee, you're a wealth of knowledge, I think, to be cruising with you. The names and the castles and the regions and the wines and the food, I'd love, you know, you're giving us an insight into what to expect cruising the waterways. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing that little bit of an insight and a little bit of a teaser as what we could expect, potentially with a cocktail in hand and a plate of cheese at our feet as we're sitting on the back of the barge and you're just sailing us off into the sunset. Thank you for joining and sharing that with me today. Well, it's very happy to be with you and to help spread the Belgian gospel. We can do that and we look forward to maybe sending people your way. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Nothing beats the feeling of travel. The first step off the plane, salt water on your skin, sand beneath your toes, a drink in your hand. The list goes on. NIB wants you to enjoy the best parts of travel and help you through any unexpected bumps in the road, whether you're travelling up the coast or overseas. For travel insurance designed for today's travellers, go to nib.com.au slash travel well. NIB, travel insurance to help you on your way. Always read the PDS and TMD at nib.com.au slash travel well to consider if this product is right for you. Insurance issued by Pacific International Insurance. The Travel Project with Matt and Katie Coyle. Joining me once again, I've got Ali back from NIB. Not only back from NIB, back from a holiday. Well, you've just returned. Where have you been, Ali? Oh, hi, Matt. Thanks for having me back. I have just returned from a month overseas. So we started in New Zealand, the top of the South Island, and then um, visiting family and friends and then headed up to Canada, but we went by Singapore. So touched in on some some sites in Singapore on the way. A month away. See, that's what we work for, I think, really switching off. And you travelled with family? I did. I took my husband and my two children. Yeah, we had a great time together. I have come back um, really rejuvenated and relaxed and ready to take on 2023 and all the things that work and life has to throw at me. And that's what we are talking about today, about what travel means to us prior and then especially when we return. Coming back into the workforce and getting back into the daily grind after having some absolutely amazing moments can seem daunting for many, but it also inspires you to plan the next one. So what does travel really do to ourselves? I think it's just that reset. And yeah, I touch on that a lot, but I think it's really important to take that time in a new place or different places and just do something different and get out and explore and enjoy the things that you love to do when you're not stuck behind your desk. What are you seeing from NIB's perspective and your customers? Are you seeing the boomers we're seeing in in travel? We are. And, you know, I think we're seeing changes, a lot of changes. I'm probably a lot like a lot of our customers. I used to do two trips a year, one probably to surf and one to snow. And now I've got, you know, a handful 
you know, upwards of five holidays planned. And the way I'm planning my holidays is different. As you just said, you know, I did the surf and the snow in one trip this time around, where, yeah. you know, whereas in the past, I would have spread that out a bit more. So I think we are seeing that a lot of our customers are looking for more than one adventure and for different reasons as well. Like we talk to them about whether they're looking to disconnect and relax. You know, that's the sort of fly and flop mentality of a week in Fiji or whatever it may be with your family to just, you know, disconnect or the reverse. I think there are still quite a lot of people that may have reconnected with family and friends, but maybe not enough or they're looking for that second hit because, you know, they've missed their families and, you know, they sort of did that post-COVID rush around the world to get out there. But now, well, that was a year ago now and I really want to see my family again. So mixing it up a bit, probably similar to what I did. Yeah, I think the moment borders open, that market, visiting friends and family, that absolutely boon. But what a lot of people are finding is let's pair it together. We're visiting friends and family in the UK. Why not have a trip to Spain and Portugal at the same time? When in the past, so many just really went for that one specific moment and then came home. So the extended holidays, that's something that we are seeing. And I think the ability to work remotely allows people to have those extended holidays, you know, staying in some of the, not necessarily in the hotels, but self-catering apartments so you can really immerse yourself in the destination. Yeah. Oh, you're right on it there, Matt. I was working so hard and we sort of jumped on this plane over to New Zealand and I got there and I was actually working remote for a few days because a month is a long time off. You know, we have the flexibility to work remote in some countries. So New Zealand was my location and, you know, I was fixed on how do I get to my accommodation with Wi-Fi? (laughs) That was what I was focused on. And I did that. We got out of the plane, into a car, out to the accommodation and basically was a beach house on Rarangi Beach, which is just a pebble beach at the top of the South Island. And I didn't realize until like day two, I needed to disconnect. And, you know, so my whole family were there. My kids were out building these awesome little huts on the beach. My husband was working in the other room and I was online. And yet at the end of the day, we took a breath and we looked out, sat on the deck and looked out over this beautiful New Zealand, you know, scenery and thought, oh, we really needed a break, you know, and yet we were still able to sort of do our eight days and get paid for that while sitting in, you know, a a, a glorious beach house in New Zealand. I think we are very lucky here in Australia. It is like quite common to get a month off in a year, whereas in the States and my family are also in Canada, they're only allowed the two weeks, but that month doesn't need to be limited. There's so many visas that you can even get to work remotely in these countries. And there's the four walls of office have absolutely come down. I think that's one of the best things that came out of COVID. So travel doesn't necessarily need to be that one-off treat because you've only got limited time. Really thinking outside the box and think, well, I could just take my computer and just work somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm hoping that a lot of other people in their companies are as fortunate as I am at NIB because I have seen that NIB looks after our employee health and wellbeing as well. And even when we were working at our desks and remote and in lockdown, we were doing little challenges where it's a 15-minute challenge as a team to step away from your desk and do some funny little exercises, routines or whatever it may be. And, you know, plus working from home, working remote, you know, we are really lucky and I'm hoping that that we are seeing that across Australia. One thing that I wanted to really find out, I know that you survey your customers and look for travel trends and see what's happening. Border closures, any fear? around things like that? We do ask our customers about what worries them. You know, we try and keep it straightforward and simple and, you know, what are the things that are worrying them? And so when it was, you know, for Australia to close down, it was such a big impact to all of us. So, you know, we started asking about that. And at the moment, um, our most recent stats from December show only 2% are concerned about border closures. So I'm hoping that's a thing of the past. You know, if we revert back to August 
2021, you know, we, we've been doing our research, sort of little dips into the market regularly. That was 50% were worried and I suppose rightly so when you think back to all this last year. <laughs> yeah, I think we've definitely come to the other side and in amongst it all, I always, you know, wished for a time that we are living in right now. We're living in the time where we have the freedom to go out and to chase and have those special moments. Myself as well, Ali, I'm also just as switched off. My glow is also a bit of a tan because I was in the Caribbean. It I, is. Yeah. That's on my bucket list, the Caribbean. And you know what? One thing that I really came back and, and what I learned from it is I travel with three young kids. No, every day is not like a picture perfect postcard and kids whinge and that's the reality. And so I wasn't out there really seizing each and every day. What I really learned to appreciate with the moments. And to seize the moments because in and amongst the, my legs hurt, I don't want to walk, I don't want to do this, I drop my food everywhere. There were the moments, the most special, the most amazing moments that I will cherish forever. And you know, just being on the beach and swimming with the kids were some of those moments that I will always remember. Were there any moments that you have from your trip that regardless of travel time, regardless of issues or missed trains and buses, <laughs> the moments that stick with us? What are yours? Yeah, and the, the time to reflect. I find on holidays, I reflect on those moments and think back to all the great places I've been to and, and the things I've done. For us this time, I suppose starting in New Zealand, there was a little pool, a little swimming pool where the kids could dive off into this clear blue water. And, you know, we went down there at 6.30 at night, like it was after work and it was late. And, you know, they were having so much fun. It's also like, it's New Zealand, New Zealand. water. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's December, but like, or January, but it was cold water. And my kids just have that love of life and they will just jump on in. And so we don't have that around where we live. So that was a great moment. And then just, you know, keep coming back to this moment. We were so lucky at the top of our self-contained accommodation in Silver Star in Canada at the ski resort. On the rooftop, there was a hot tub and I hadn't been skiing for three years. So, you know, at the end of the day, I was straight to the hot tub to, you know, sort my feet out, <laughs> my yeah. calves out. And we were sitting there one night in this hot tub and the snow just came down on us. And so you're outside, it's freezing cold, you're in water and it's snowing. And we all just look back and thought, how precious is that? You know, the other nights it wasn't snowing, but that night looking up at the stars and the snow coming down, I was like, this is a moment we are all going to love and want to come back to. That's probably the next thing. <laughs> I love it. I chase the moment. Yeah. I also love the one point you said, Ellie, is just after work when I was in New Zealand. That's the world we live in now. Did you manage to, to switch off the importance of out of office? Did you have that opportunity? I did. Once the work was done, I even accidentally broke my phone. So uh -huh. even the one yeah. access I would have had to the chat and the workplace messages, they were gone. So I switched off completely. I didn't carry a phone for the whole time. I wasn't, you know, we had a GoPro, but we weren't really taking photos, which I normally do. So I found that a little bit difficult, like not being connected to technology, not for work, but just for life. Like my Facebook, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do without my phone? So yeah, I had moments where I'd just be sitting contemplating things because I'd go up the mountain and ski down and my husband would go do black runs and I'd be sitting in the cafe having a coffee, just enjoying myself, contemplating, you know, what's next in life. Well, just between the two of us, our holidays differed quite a bit. I was relaxing <laughs> on the beach. I think that the worst that could happen to me was I dropped a cocktail on my foot. But you, however, skiing the, the Black Runs and the Alps of Canada, any issues that you faced along the way? Oh gosh, good question. I think there is that concern. There's always the concern. I think, oh, am I going to be all right here? It's been three years. I'm not a Black Run skier. I'm, I'm sticking to the Blue Runs right now, as much as my 10-year-old says, mum, Black Run today. <laughs> I'm like, no, Blue is safe. We've got to make safe decisions. And I'm conscious of that. And it's probably because I do work in travel 
travel insurance and I am conscious of the costs of things if they don't go to plan. And so we were very lucky. We had a great nine days skiing, no scrapes or bruises or anything, even with the kids practicing how to get to aerial status. I'm like, right. it's a bit scary with <laughs> my 10 year old doing double diamonds. I'm just concerned about his well-being every time he's not in my sight, but we let them go. So we were really lucky and had a great trip. And most people do, I find, when traveling. But when we were leaving the resort, we were getting a transfer to the airport at Kalauna and this couple got on and we had to move seats around because she had hurt her ankle. You know, it was great talking to them. They had been on a ski trip with their family and their daughters and she'd hurt herself on one of the cat trails, like the flat runs at the end of the run and hurt her ankle and been in the hospital and had plates put in her ankle and she was pretty chipper considering and being me, I sort of piped up and asked what the story was and how they went and who they're insured with. And oh, strangely, did you, they, did you? I can't yeah. help myself. Okay. First of all, I'm like, <laughs> do you have insurance? Yep. But they looked very sensible. So I sort of, I didn't ask the, do you have insurance? I, I cut straight to the, so who's your insurer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't help myself. You know, it was great to hear. She's like, oh, NIB. Yeah, right. I was like, I'm like, oh, if I see my kid's eyes light up, like, oh, what's mom going to do okay. now? And so I said, oh, how was the experience? Because it's great to talk to our customers. And you might talk to them, but it's sort of after the fact. But being in the country and hearing from her in the midst of probably one of the biggest moments is how do you get home with an injury? Mm. It was quite eye-opening. And they'd said that they'd had a really great experience with our emergency assistance team. And, you know, my heart's just sort of leapt out because that's what I want to hear. I mean, I know my emergency assistance team and I love them and I know that they're doing everything right for our customers. But to hear a customer say, your emergency assistance team was spot on, or like, you know, just sort of made me so happy. They'd sort of upgraded their flights and sorted everything out and they were heading home to Brisbane and I was like, really nice moment for me. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on today's chat. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's been lovely talking to you today. Thank you for this opportunity and I'll talk to you again soon. Well, there you have it. There's everything you need to know about France. And I think it definitely has to be on the bucket list. I know I am planning my next trip. It's small but big. I think it's small in comparison to Australia, but it's massive in terms of ways to travel and what you can do when you're there. So whether you've been once, twice, three or four times, I think everybody can probably get a little bit more of an insight for how to do France next time around. So if you are looking to plan your next trip, feel free to reach out to our amazing team at Melbourne Travel Project. You can find us on socials, Melbourne Travel Project, or you can pop into our store in Mornington and say hello. And if you really feel like it, you can speak to our France expert. You've got to speak to Sandra for Sandra, sure. Sandra, which is Sandra at melbournetravelproject.com.au. That's the Travel Project podcast. Bonjour. Join us next week. 